From Central Dogma underneath Tokyo 3, it's the IGN DigiGods. So please welcome two men who actually understood the story behind Evangelion. Did I say that right? Evangelion? 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 Evangeline? Evangeline? Evangelis? Wade Major and Mark Kaiser! Oh, everyone except Evangeline Lilly and uh, Linda Evangelista. Who, who sent that in, Corey, by the way? That was brought to you by Kevin Lower. Kevin Upper was not available. <laughs> yeah. Is this our first show of the new year? No, last year was our first, last week was our first show of the new year. Don't you remember we read some New Year's <laughs> greeting? Really? Really? Did you drink that much? <laughs> no. I don't even drink that much anymore. Okay. Yes. I well. don't drink that much anymore because I have to get up early to go to work. I mm-hmm. work at 7 a.m. So when you have to be at work at 7 a.m., you tend to not drink because you can't afford to be hungover. Unless being awake at 7 a.m. drives you to drink, which well, is sometimes a possibility. And I'll tell you, I would make a great alcoholic. I know you if would. If I decided to go that oh, way. Oh, I know you would. Last night, because it was on a weekend, mm-hmm. I had a, uh, a martini. Mm. First drink I've had in a while, just a couple weeks. Yeah. Tasted so good. <laughs> uh, be awesome. I'd love to be an alcoholic. Isn't it funny how they, they no one ever thought to take a martini, make a really big version of it, and call it a, a like a Mar Maxi or a Mar Biggie, a Mar Hugie, a Marmungus. Okay, never mind. Um, quick, you're not laughing in the least. You're angry at me for that. Good one. night, everybody. Okay, it's the end of the, the internet. The, <laughs> the uh, um, some housekeeping first. We are taking submissions for our new intros, uh, which we'll be recording in a couple of months or so. So don't don't delay. If you got some good ideas for intros, go ahead, file them our way. Uh, just send them to gods at digigods.com. Uh, listener mail, as always. We're not going to get around to any listener mail or uh, Vox boxes today. We got way what? too much material. Got too much material. We're, we're we got kind of like a, a backlog. But we got a, a backlog from the holidays, and we got to sort of you know try to clean out some of the coverage so we have some room. Now, when you say backlog from the holidays, does that mean that you'll be talking about more Christmas? DVDs? I will be talking about things that came out in November of 2010. Okay, good. That's what I mean. As long as it's not like Christmas of 2010. Actually, there's a few of them, but or, it's it's. Or, it's, it's or, got, Will Obama win a second term? Yeah, no, exactly. No, there's, there's a few Christmas stuff that came in late, which is sort of funny. Um, like Twisted Sister or Twisted Christmas live in Las Vegas. Hey, it's good any time of the year. It doesn't hey, have to be Christmas. And you know what? Technically, we just <laughs> talked about it, so don't talk about it. Okay. Um, and uh, so, but meanwhile, send your uh, your Vox boxes and your uh, your emails to gods at digigods.com as well. So uh, just send it all in, you know, submissions for Vox boxes, uh, listener mail, and... Uh, Suggestions for the new openings, and we will uh, put them all together, and we'll file it on our end. Um, Mark, Oscar thoughts, really quickly. Uh, I thought that the Oscar nominations were generally very fair mm-hmm. were ac- across the board. Uh, there's going to be some snubs, and there's going to be some surprises, like there are every year. Yeah, but uh, I don't really, I can't really say that. As although in specific categories, yes, I can't say that the Oscars are in, are in any particular mood. I think that maybe you're starting to see, which they want. A slow turning of nominations into a more youthful. I I think it's we're going to see something very interesting this year, and I think you're right, but I don't think that's necessarily the normal trend. I think what they because they've gone to online voting and they've gone to earlier voting for the nominees this year, so you have a shorter window within which to actually see the movies you're going to nominate, and a longer window within which to see the movies you're going to vote for the winner. 
And I think because of that now, there may be a, some many more surprises in the wins than we expected. You used to be able to kind of gauge these things by, based on how nominations co- corresponded to wins in the past. The director's category this year is bizarre because normally you'll have four out of the five nominees common between the DGA and the Oscars. This year, only two. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Certainly not in my lifetime. And I think that's because going with the earlier nomination process and online, you're sort of intentionally disenfranchising the older voters that might have been inclined to vote for Ben Affleck or Catherine Bigelow or, or Tom Hooper. And instead, you get like Ben Zeitland in there and you get uh, David O. Russell in there. And well, I that's unusual. If, I don't know that the older voters would vote for a woman. But I will say this, that if nothing else, I think that the online voting is accelerating a trend that was inevitable, yeah. which is that Oscar voters, average age 62, yeah. are going to start aging themselves out and be replaced by younger voters. But we also might see... Well, that, all, that happens every so often. Well, I mean, sure. like, like you, you, you always... generation you, you can always see the year where the thing changes. You know, for example, when Silence of the Lambs won. That was a real changing of the guard. It really was. You know, because Silence of the Lambs is a film that would not have... You know, it, 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 here, you're, you're talking about 1991, right? Signs of the Lambs. Right. And the year before was Unforgiven. That is a real sea change. Sure. Or, or no, I'm sorry. The year, no, no, no. 92 was Unforgiven. The year before was Dancing with Wolves. Same difference. So that's a real sea change. Um, and you, you kind of hopscotch through the 90s, and you realize that there's this, this change going on. Same thing happens when you go from 68 to 69, from Oliver to you know, Midnight Cowboy. It's like, what the hell happened there? Right. Um, but then again— but that, was, but that was also the end of the production code. And the production code. But, then, but then, you, then you get into some very traditional stuff with uh, you, you know, Patton and The Sting— uh, but then you get into you know Godfather is is not quite so traditional. I mean it's it's classic, but it's it's violent and it's edgy. And you know so you there are these moments, and they're usually about every twenty years. You know early seventies, early nineties, you, you, where you start to see those things shift. And we're about in that place right now. So I mean I think we've been seeing a shift for the past several years. But I don't know that this year. I think we may see a really interesting break from the votes and the nominees. Because I think now as a lot of those older voters come flooding back in and see the films that they wish had been nominated, they might just rebel against some of these nominees. That's possible. Yeah. That's possible. I mean, I, I know that... Um you know, there's always that joke that the older voters just just have their like maids watch all the screeners and yeah. just have them decide who they're going to nominate. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think they're realizing that this is what happens when you leave it up to the kids, indeed, to decide the nominations. Mark, we got a lot. We got we got gobs and gobs of documentary material, and uh, a lot of it is really important. But I want to blow through it uh, really quickly just to let people know what's out there. Some of it we haven't gotten to because of the holidays. Wait, I, I, no, wait. Are, are you blowing through all these? I'm going to blow. This is the PBS pile. Okay, while gonna, you blow through all these, PBS, I'm going to this week's cookie. You do that. So PBS. PBS comes out with so much stuff, and I always feel... This week's cookie, by the way, based on a movie. So it's not just a cookie. It's a cookie that's based on a documentary. Mark is going to give me a Lincoln cookie. No, it's... uh, I'm going to get you a fortune cookie, like the the Jack Lemmon movie, or the... uh, Oh. Wait, Jack Lemmon. Yeah, 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 Billy Wilder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, PBS. So we're going to go through a bunch of PBS titles here. Be aware of them. A lot of them are really, really good. Uh, Arts of the Mind with Lisa Kudrow. Um, you know what? This is, Lisa Kudrow, I, I, I love her to death. She, yes, she's not really Phoebe from Friends. She's, she's just really sharp. And uh, this is wonderful. This is about uh, the arts, the importance of the arts as a developmental tool for, for the human mind, for human beings and everything. We always kind of minimize that, right? Everybody wants reading, writing, and arithmetic in schools. And arts is always like the first thing to get cut. And this makes a case that, you know, maybe arts is more important than everything else because of the way that it helps your mind develop. Um, 
Craft in America. This is an ongoing uh, series from PBS. This one is Crossroads. And uh, this is just sort of looking at uh, some of the areas where uh, the craft history of American culture inter- kind of intertwines with technology in the modern world. You know, not one of the best ones, but interesting enough. Uh, a, uh, an installment of Nature, Magic of the Snowy Owl. All I could think of while watching this was uh, The Big Year, which I really enjoyed. The movie, you know, Steve Martin, Jack yeah, Black. you're the yeah. only one. I know, I'm the only one that liked that movie. I just watched this. It's a beautiful owl. Every night when I go to sleep, I mention this, we have owls at the house, and there's a screech owl and there's a hoo owl. And it's like they're fighting for turf. I don't know if they're communicating, if they're arguing, if they're just bitching each other out, or if it's like a competition between Sopranos. I don't know, but it's really kind of disturbing. All I know is that if anybody from the NRA is listening right now, I know you have a solution to Wade's problem. Yep, you sure do. The only solution to every problem. The the solution that's... uh, Every problem in the world. The solution that, uh, that Joe Pesci comes up with in My Cousin Vinny when the owl is keeping him awake, but it doesn't work. Doesn't work. You remember that, right? No. When he comes, he comes, he comes. It's a great shot. He comes running out of the cabin, and with a gun, and just bang, 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 bang. And then they rack focus to the owl, and right up in front of the uh, in front of the lens. It's great. It's a terrific <laughs> shot. It's wonderful. Tales of the Masked Men. Uh, you, you know, can't say that I'm a big fan of Mexican wrestling. Uh, Lucha Libre with the with the funky masks and the whole thing. I don't really know how that ever came to to become as popular as it is. And I'm not sure that this really answers why it's as popular as it is, other than the fact that it's uh, you know a, a people's sport. But anyway, if you ever had any interest in sort of learning how it came to be and what it you know the role that it plays in Mexican society and even in American society. It's pretty good. Another installment of Nature, Siberian Tiger Quest. Love kitties. Love great big kitties. Um, and this is also really, really good. This is probably one of the better installments of Nature that I have, I have seen. It's an hour long. Uh, and uh, people often think tigers roam Africa. They don't. There are no tigers in Africa. Tigers are an Asian animal. And uh, this is uh, looking for the Siberian tiger and in, in an area of Russia where I never even necessarily realized there were tigers. I always knew they had them, you know, in, in uh, Southeast Asia. I knew they had them in India, but didn't realize they, they went as far as Siberia. So fascinating, really fascinating. Uh, we have an installment of uh, Nova Science Now. Can I eat that? And uh, this does not encourage me necessarily. Mark, describe for the people what's the, what the cover of this is. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a cockroach of some sort. On? On a fork. That's right. It's a cockroach on a fork. That doesn't necessarily really instill uh, confidence in anyone to want to watch this. Well, but... have, have, well, you know, it depends. If you're a Fear Factor watcher or, by the way, if you live in any, like, Southeast Asian country where Except all they eat are grasshoppers. Except that's not really what this is about. Uh, it just sort of gets into the, the essence of, of the things we take for granted about food. You know, why we taste things and why we cook things and how we cook things. And uh, it, it's interesting. Somebody said to me the other day, cooking is, is art. But baking is chemistry. Isn't that, that is interesting? Correct. And this is very much about the chemistry of it. We never get tired of Cuban Missile Crisis stuff. And from the Secrets of the Dead series is The Man Who Saved the World, which is now a long look at the story of Vasily Arkhipov, who uh, you may not realize really was an extraordinary figure in the Cuban Missile Crisis. We talk about Khrushchev and Kennedy and all. No, Arkhipov. Who was he? You need to watch this and find out. Fascinating. And, by the way, when you're done not watching that, because you know you never will, yeah. go rent 13 Days. Yeah, 13 Days, great movie. Yep. Really underrated Roger Donaldson, Roger Donaldson film. Yep. Uh, 
Uh, also from Sobin Nova Science Now, what makes us human? Uh, a little bit better than the, uh, the, the the food one. It's not quite so creepy uh, in some respects. Now this is this is all about the uh, the origin of the human species and you know our our uh, our genes and the, you know our ancient family tree. It's interesting. Java Man is my pal. Uh, surviving disaster: How the brain works under extreme duress. Uh, if you if you've been stressed at any point in your life, you're, this will give you really a lot of solace because it'll tell you how certain aspects of your brain and your body kick into overdrive when things aren't going well, and somehow give you that extra that extra little boost of uh, you know adrenaline. Adrenaline adrenaline is amazing. It is. It it works within like one one millionth of a second after a, after you get like you know excited or have to turn your car or put on your brakes fast. How does it do that, Wade? I don't know. You got to watch that documentary and you'll know. From Nature on Blu-ray and on DVD, and it is gorgeous on Blu-ray. Is uh, an original documentary. It's only an hour long, but it's it's lovely because ducks are adorable and cute. And, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't learn anything about ducks. I didn't already know, but because uh, I've read all the stories, you know, the ugly duckling and all that kind of stuff. I know all that. I've watched Donald and, and uh, Daffy. I know, I know my ducks. Those, you know what, those uh, really, when you want to know about ducks, uh, how they function evolution, from an ev- evolutionary standpoint, how they, be- how they became ducks, the best way is, is to watch old Donald Duck cartoon. That's true. And also from Nature, Animal Odd Couples. Uh, somehow I felt like watching this should have, this should have been an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos because uh, you know it's like oh look it's a dog and a cat and they like each other or a cat and a bird and they like each other and oh look it's a it's a mouse and an elephant and they like each other it, it's it's you know it's cute it tries to sort of get a little deeper than that but it never really does. And then the uh, the suicide plan from Frontline is uh, tremendously illuminating and depressing. This is ninety minutes long, and it is uh, it is really if you have any kind of opinion about assisted suicide or about the plight of the elderly or people who are uh, terminally ill, you're going to want to see this because it really it, it raises a lot of important moral and ethical questions, and uh, it forces you to answer them. And I think a lot of times it forces you to take positions you may not want to take. So it's a really really good Frontline. That's it for the uh, for those. Mark, you want to uh, hit us with some music, and I'll pile. Through some of the other docs? Yes, you know, way I'm a big fan of the Who. I am. I admit it. I know. I, admit it. You, I know. You you it's love awesome. yourself some of that uh, that Daltrey and uh, Pete Townsend action. Yes, I do. Pete yeah. Townsend. Here's the thing. Pete Townsend is my musical god. George Carlin, my comedy god. Too bad they never they didn't form a band together. That would <laughs> Imagine. Be great. Uh, the Who live in Texas, 1975. This is at the height of their powers, and they uh, sing a lot of great stuff. All their classics, Substitute, Baba O'Reilly, Boris the Spider, Can't Explain, Squeezebox. They don't, they don't play that in concert all the time, so I'm glad it's here. In the Who, live in Texas, 79. Uh, this is just great stuff. They were young, and they were energetic, and you know they were on the U.S. leg of their tour and support. It, it, was, it was for uh, the Who by Numbers, which is a pretty good album. And uh, you know, so they sing plenty of stuff from My Generation and Tommy and whatnot. So... This is great stuff. Uh, it does look great, only because it's 1975, but still, it sounds pretty darn good. Looks pretty darn good. And if you're a Who fan, you're going to want to check out The Who Live in Texas, 75. Not a big uh, Lady Antebellum fan. I don't really... Oh, I do. I like them. Really? Yeah. Why? You know, it's just, it's, it's like it's a little bit country, but it's a little bit folk. It's a little bit modern. It's just, it's like, you, it, it just, it gets you through the day, man. It, it wants to be everything. It, it, it gets it, you through It can't the day. decide on one genre. It's just, it's just, it's kind of, it's sort of folksy, feel-good, southern stuff. It well, makes me, it, 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 you know, it gets you, you happy. Through, it gets you through the day. It's, you know, what it is. It's like musical Prozac. 
It sounds like more, like more like music schizophrenia. It needs to be treated with some sort of music drug. Well, these guys swept last year's Grammy Awards. I these know, guys, I mean, and they've sold millions of records. So obviously, I'm, I'm in the minority. But uh, this, you know, they are performing. Uh, they actually did a whole world tour, and this is part of that world tour. But uh, they have a bunch of number one hits that they do sing here. Uh, I run to you. We own the night. American Honey, that's kind of... Uh, actually, American Honey's not so bad. I have to admit, nice. I admit it. Um, anyway, for the world tour, they toured like 11 countries, but um, you get some of that here in Lady Antebellum Own the Night World Tour. Nice. Uh, Twisted Sister, they had a moment. <laughs> that's not good. Twisted By the way, they're, they're, they're from Long Island, I have to say. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. And you know, Snyder. You know, who, you know who lived on Long Island until he was 10 years old? You. Mark Kaiser. Yeah. Ba-bam. Anyway, the huh? Howard Stern's from Long Island, too. Isn't he? He's from Roosevelt, Long Island, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is uh, Twisted Sister, Twisted Christmas, live in Las Vegas. This just just came, by the way. It's not like I delayed covering this. It literally just came within the past few days. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> it, it, the, the 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 DVD is a it's a combination of Christmas songs and non Christmas songs. So you know, I don't, I don't if for some reason it's January and you want to hear Twisted Sister sing "Deck the Halls," and uh, you know, and wow. come all you faithful, go nuts. Otherwise, you might want to uh, maybe put this on your list for next Christmas. Totally. Um, a few other docs here to uh, blow through. Actually, this isn't; these aren't quite so much docs as they are just sort of, well, travel guides and travel logs. This is from B, uh, BFS, and I put these things on usually in the background when I'm you know, vacuuming or doing something else because you don't have to pay how too close attention. How could you hear it when you're vacuuming? If you're well, vacuuming, how can you You don't you have to that? pay too close attention because the pictures are pretty. This is Royal Kingdoms, the castles and cathedrals of Royal Britain. And you don't really need to do anything just except watch the lovely photography of all the wonderful castles and cathedrals. And they're great. They're really cool. And then also we got a couple here from uh, Lighthouses of Australia and Lighthouses of Ireland. Now, I don't know why the distinction, because the Lighthouses of Ireland are declared Sentinels of the Sea, and the Lighthouses of Australia are declared Beacons of Hope. Um, I guess I just needed some kind of a subtitle. Anyway, um, I'm not one of these people who loves lighthouses. Like, you know, there are lighthouse cultists, people who travel the world just to see lighthouses. Uh, Now that I have these two, I don't really need to do that. I sort of get the idea. But whatever, it's fine. You know, knock yourselves out. A lot of pretty lighthouses. and uh, Lighthouses are cool. It's more about the, you know, it's really not even about the history. It's just more about the the terrain where they they are. And there's a lot, the the terrain is very varied. The only thing that's common is that they're in places where, you know, it could be treacherous for for whatever reason, you know, reefs and rocks and cliffs and whatnot. So, lighthouses, go figure. Uh, Whatever you say, Wade. Is it my turn? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fire up, fire away. Wait, there's a a documentary from uh, the good folks at First Run Features. Uh, This is a real DIY kind of effort called YURT. Now, YURT is an acronym for Your Environmental Road Trip, which already is annoying. (laughs) But uh, it's – what it is, it's cute. There are these three guys, and they they went on a road trip, and they went on a road trip to kind of meet these people in a whole bunch of states – who are innovating in terms of like you know uh, recycling and wind power? Is that, and that why kind it comes stuff? in a recyclable envelope that could you could slide underneath a door? That's why. Exactly. That's okay. That is got true. Um, yeah. So these three people they go to from they go from state to state for like a year, and they sort of talk to people and they face these issues that you know a lot of Americans face in terms of like you know uh, recycling and wind wind power and solar power and they meet all these interesting people. You know, if if you're into this kind of stuff, you should just fire up a doobie and uh, and check it out. 
I mean, no, it's not going to be up for an Oscar or anything. All righty. Um, from uh, First Run Features, we got a couple of interesting ones here. Uh, after Coney, Staging Hope uh, is about basically the um, the child soldiers from the Northern Uganda War. And, uh, you know, the Coney was kind of the center of a, a, a brief little burp of publicity with that film, that online film. That uh, Coney 2012. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, which, which everybody kind of thought was going to be some great uh, humanitarian tool until it turned out that the guy who made it was insane. And then he was like running around naked in, in, in San Diego <laughs> or something. Wasn't there some fiasco? And I he love runs... how like, like, it comes out and all these celebrities get behind it and all these people get it. And it turns out that the guy who made it is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. Anyway, this is, this is a better doc, uh, much better, because it's, uh, it really is about a healing. And, uh, you know, look. To be honest, what's going on with uh, Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda is horrible, and it's left scars that are going to continue for a very, very long time, and it's still not over. But uh, this tells you how amazing the people are in, in Uganda in basically trying to solve the problem and to fight against it, and it's pretty great. Uh, it's just all about the people, and you just can't help but love them. And then also we've got uh, Rehearsal for a Sicilian Tragedy, John Turturro. I, I got to tell you, man, John Turturro has, like, he's just emerged as this kind of fascinating doc guy. And uh, whether he's he's in them or whether he directs them, he this is kind of like his new calling. And um, I'm really very impressed with the, the direction that he's taken. So anyway, this is basically about the, the puppetry. Um, of the uh, of the Sicilian people and the history of puppetry, and of course, Torturo's docs are all very much rooted in his own, you know, his own family history, and he has a real connection to this, the history of Sicilian puppetry. It's wonderful. And then, lastly, of this little batch here, and I'll let you talk about that. Uh, the Katzi trilogy on Blu-ray from uh, Criterion. I am, yeah, you know this what? Is good. This what? Is, well, this is Koyanis Katzi, Pawakatsi, and Nakoi Katzi. And these are all the Godfrey Reggio films that are all shot in beautiful time lapse, and uh, they just go on forever. And uh, at least they feel like they go on forever. And uh, you know it's gorgeous, and there's great, you know, fabulously monotonous Philip uh, Glass music and whatever. I never really got into it. I, I saw Koyana Scotsy when it came out with my mother, and uh, she said that was boring. And, of course, me being the, the nascent film nerd, I sort of was like, but it looked cool. And, of course, over time I was like, you know what? I was bored too. Lots of stuff here, though. I, I, I'm not a fan. They look gorgeous. They were shot, you know. Um, uh, well, Koyana Scotsy was legendary at the time when Ron Fricke caught it and uh, shot it. And Ron Fricke's gone on to shoot all of his own stuff since, including the recent Samsara, which was shot in '65. So, I mean, it's you know, this is gorgeous photography, and you get all kind. You get interviews with Reggio and interviews with Ron Fricke and uh, interviews with Philip Glass and do documentaries and public television interviews and just on and on and on. I mean, the, the amount of material on here the, in terms of the extras is just overwhelming. Um, so if you love these films, there's no better way to watch them. This is a great Blu-ray set, contains all three of them, beautiful, but not my kinds of movies. Uh, wait, a few comic book fans out there, and I know you exist, uh, there is a new Blu-ray edition of Comic Book Confidential, not Comic Book Confidential, it's a great documentary from uh, 1988, and it, uh, it's great. It uh, profiles all these great comic book artists like Robert Crumb and Stan Lee, and uh, it sort of legitimizes comic books in the eyes of uh, you know, those who think that it's just a bunch of frivolous nothing, which, by the way, can be, but it's also going to be art just like any other art. In fact, there's, uh, 
there's a great extra on here. Actually, it's in the documentary. There's clips from the 1950s um, congressional hearings that tried to link comic books with like juvenile delinquency. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, it was just ridiculous. And you 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 just see how the you know the, the government needs to stay out of all artistic endeavors of all kinds. But this was especially egregious. But Comic Book Confidential, it's like a 20th anniversary edition. It's great. The uh, For this new version, uh, which is a real slam dunk, uh, they did a good job on this, uh, they've uh, got 40 minutes of never-before-seen never footage. There's also uh, new stuff from uh, Kevin Smith, and um, there's an interview with the director, uh, Ron Mann. And it's great. It's great. You know, the uh, there is a creepy moment in the film where they, um, they're talking about Zippy the Pinhead. You know, oh, Bill, yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill oh, Griffith's uh, totally. Zippy the Pinhead. Yeah. And they have a guy... Dressed up as Zippy the Pinhead, like running around yelling these like Zippy phrases. That's a little strange. So sometimes man does get a little bit uh, out of his mind. But otherwise, Comic Book Confidential is great. It's a great history of the comic book form. It'll finally make you, if you didn't already, respect the people who who uh, who draw these comics and who write these comics and how great they are and Sweet. how Stan Lee was was just as revolutionary as any other movie director or TV writer at the time. You will appreciate, Wade, comic books from watching Comic Book Confidential on Blu-ray. All right. I'll take your word for it. And then to wrap up the uh, the doc form here real quickly, um, Five Broken Cameras is out from Kino Lorber this week. It is uh, the same week that it just got nominated for an Oscar, which I think was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. Did you expect this to get nominated? Not at all. I Not didn't either. Off my radar. It was totally off my radar as well. Uh, we were supplied a screener of this, but this was like even in our voting, in the LA Film Critic voting, not even on the radar. Like no one was voting for this. Uh, basically, this is one of two films nominated for documentary this year that deal with the Israeli-Palestinian crisis, The Gatekeepers, which we gave the award to. Which is great. Way better. Oh, yeah. Um, all this is is, is basically uh, just kind of a chronicle of uh, events in this uh, one village in the West Bank, um, which is all shot by a guy who's not a filmmaker, by the way. He's just a farmer. And um, he, it just he sets up these cameras knowing basically that they're going to be destroyed, each one of them. So um, it's a chronicle more than a film. I guess they thought it was an important statement movie, but... I don't know that it really deserves to be nominated. Uh, music from the Big House is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. Shot at Angola Prison and um, all in gorgeous black and white. I talked about this on the radio when it came out, and I just love this movie even more. Uh, directed by Bruce McDonald. This is just uh, essentially a, about taking prisoners and turning them into musicians, letting them find their musical voice while in prison. And, and, let, them, and let them take that clarinet and make a shiv out of it. <laughs> you know what? You, you realize that there's, these, these guys, they're human beings too. And a lot of them, even though they're never going to get out of prison or certainly not for a long, long time, it's, there is a certain sense of redemption here. And it has that kind of Johnny Cash feel to it. And I, I really appreciated that. I thought it was really good. Uh, three stars. Just wrapping up quickly here so that we can get on to regular movies that uh, Mark will appreciate. And uh, cookies that you will appreciate. And th- this is why I'm mentioning three stars, because it's about uh, cooking. It's about three stars. If you get three stars for your uh, Michelin restaurant, you ever eaten at a three-star Michelin restaurant? Oh, God, no. That's like 500 bucks a plate. Not if you, not if you go for the lunch buffet. <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, which a three-star lunch <laughs> Do any of these Michelin restaurants have like a like a buffet? Well, actually, not a buffet, but uh, the last literally last year, exactly a year ago, uh, Christy and I went to a place in um, in Paris that's a three star Michelin restaurant, and we we couldn't afford to go for dinner because it's it's ridiculous. You, I know where you went. Where? Well, you know what? I have eaten at uh, Guy Savoy. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, th- uh, there's a Guy Savoy in um, in Vegas. 
Yeah. And they, it, was, it was like 350 bucks for a, for a meal, which I had to eat at the bar because mm-hmm. you can't get a reservation. Right. And I was freaking alone by myself because my buddies can't spend $350 on a, on a dinner. Yeah. But I wanted to because it was a Michelin restaurant. Right. And it was supposed to be one of the best in the world. And it was great. Well, the one we went to, it's it's all vegetarian. And it's all grown in his own little like garden patch outside oh, of Paris. And it was so good. No, it was unbelievable. Like, it was just every every little thing was a work of art. And you like, go, what is that? Well, that's like a puree of cucumber mixed with a tofu. Da, da, da. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, do I, do I eat it or do I frame it? It was amazing. It was wonderful. And it wasn't that bad, really. For, for both of us, it wound up being like $250 for, for lunch at a three-star Michelin restaurant. That's pretty good. And, and, and no, that was – wait, where was that? That was in Paris. Oh, in Paris. In Paris, just absolutely wonderful. And, you know, that's – I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, 250 Look, no drinks. I'm sorry. That's, that's not bad. Um, anyway, the uh, so that's what this is all about. This is about, you know, the, these chefs, these three-star chefs. Terrific. Really, really good. A lot of fun. And then lastly, uh, Queen of Versailles and Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry. These are both on Blu-ray. Totally different docs. Both of them probably deserve to be nominated this year along with The Imposter. None of them were uh, because I guess they're not politically relevant enough. Queen of Versailles is about this woman who, with her husband, who's, you know, this... The, He's he, he's the timeshare king. He is the guy who he's just the timeshare. no. He's he's, he's, the, most, he's, he's, he's a, the most successful timeshare operator in the world. And and it's all about the, it, basically this, this. They never knew that they'd have this documentary because they were building a replicate of the Versailles Palace with all of his giant gobs of money. And these people are really kind of blue collary. I mean, they are they are like white trash with billions of dollars. He was and, in the middle of building the biggest private home in the world, and his business collapsed. It was like the two thousand and eight. I mean, they were shooting this doc basically just about the house. They didn't know that they'd be capturing the collapse of an empire and um anyway it's these people are just hysterical like they they should this should be they should be like some kind of a an any reality show these two but because uh, they make snooki look normal really well the, the 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 great thing that these two that these directors do and it reminds us very much of our friend uh, andrew curtis's uh yes uh, lost in la mancha absolutely which is that the directors go into it thinking that they're going to capture one story and they wind up basically shifting gears when everything goes haywire and they capture a, ca- a catastrophe. Yes. And it makes for a better movie. That's, that's being a good, a good documentarian. So anyway, uh, there was a, the film kind of ends on a, on, a, on, a, on a question mark. And there was a lawsuit and they, they, they sued the filmmakers for depicting them badly and suggesting that he was – and apparently he's turned it around and he hasn't had to sell the place, but it's still not finished. Well, they need to uh, come up with a, uh, like a new, D, like, like a new yeah. home video-only version with, that with updates a tag. us. Yeah, updates yeah. us. Well, there is some updating on it, but it's, it's still it's an ongoing story, so we'll have to wait till next year. Uh, Ai Weiwei Never Sorry is about the amazing Chinese dissident artist Ai Weiwei, and it is a warts and all look at him. And this guy, you know, he's, he's, he's a real icon to a lot of people. He's a little bit pretentious, but he's outspoken and he's rude and he loves to flip off the camera. That's his famous thing. And he's all into – he's heavily into social media. Do you know how – I mean, he like – he tweets like every second. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, he is Frank's just an, all about it. Frank Sinatra wrote a song about him. I okay. did it. I way ways way. Yeah. Oh, I did it. Boy. I ways way mm-hmm. way. Well, anyway, uh, he is he is awfully cool. His art is aggressive and thoughtful, and uh, the installments are huge and sometimes small. And he's just he's a fascinating guy. You get a commentary and some deleted scenes. It's very nicely transferred to Blu-ray. Not exactly a film I would expect to look good on Blu-ray per se, but uh, this was a Sundance winner, deservedly so. Should have been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, is not. So go. Figure. Mark, feed me. 
Well, before I feed you, I will uh, give you the background of the feeding. Okay. Uh, there was a documentary in uh, last year, actually, called El Bulli, Cooking in Progress. Now, El Bulli is a restaurant that is now closed, and it is uh, just, uh, just a little off of uh, Barcelona. And it is the type of restaurant that is so unbelievably exclusive that it only opens six months out of the year. You make the reservation a year in advance. And the guy who runs the restaurant, the main chef, he is famous for creating dishes that are very, very odd. And the meals are like 30-course meals. But when you, but when you say 30-course meals, the, every course isn't like, you know, short ribs. Some of the courses are very <laughs> unusual. Like, he'll have, like, glow-in-the-dark lollipops with the glow coming from, like, fish proteins. And he'll have a course made out of, like, nice. smoke or something. It just, it's all just bizarre gobs of just chemistry and all strangeness. Right. Well, I bought this guy's cookbook. Mm-hmm. As if I could really cook like he does. Yeah. Now he has a cookbook, this El Bulli guy, and it's not all the not all the recipes are complicated, but it's a little imposing. So I made the the one recipe I can make that only has three ingredients. All it has is mm-hmm. ground almonds, yes, uh, egg whites, and sugar. That's all it has. You know what I think is interesting about ground almonds? Mm-hmm. Because most almonds actually grow on plants, but it's the ones that grow out of the ground. I I, I it's like where do they come from? Hello? Hello? That, that's your second clunker of the I'm day. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. So here's the thing. I made, so basically you make these uh, out of a ground almonds, uh, egg whites, and sugar. And it's sort of a crunchy meringue almond cookie. Mm-hmm. I tried one. Didn't like it. Okay. Tried two because, you know, it yields like 35 of these things. Mm-hmm. I tried two. Liked it more. Tried three. Well, I was addicted. I ate them like candy. All right. So you can't just have one. You have to have two so that the addiction takes place. All right. And by the way, I only have three left. Okay. Hang on. Hit me. Hit me with one of these, uh, what are the Iway Way cookies? No. They're based on a movie. No. This is a, uh, this is a, uh, he calls it an, an almond cookie. But it is an, uh, it, is a, it tastes like a crunchy meringue almond cookie. Now, what All am right. I talking about while you eat this? Uh, you know what? Here. Oh, just eat the stupid cookie. Talk about, talk about, freaking talk about. Frankenweenie. 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 Frankenweenie is nominated for a uh, Best uh, Animated Film uh, Oscar. And, you know, I did like this film, and I'm a little over Tim Burton right now. I think that uh, he has... Yes. That, nobody wants to hear that. You'd be surprised. That actually nobody wants to hear people chewing on radio or television or film. Um, so you can have one. You'd be like... And here's the thing. You're eating one, and you're like, I don't like this. It's but crunchy, then, kind of styrofoamy. It is, right? Right. Yeah. Then you'll have another one. You'll yeah. eat one more. Eat one more. Right. And you eat one more, and you'll be like, you know what? I think I like this. It's weird. It, it'll become an obsession after one more cookie. Don't, no one wants to hear you chewing. So I need a second date is what you're saying? No, you, you, you need a second cookie. Okay. And Why? then when you eat the second cookie, you'll be I like... I love these containers, by the way. Thank you. Uh, when you eat a second cookie, you'll be like, oh my God, I get it. These are growing on me. And then you'll eat the third and last one I have. Anyway, Frank and Weenie, uh, but it's a return to form for Tim Burton. I like it. He's going back to um, he, he's redoing a film that he had made uh, uh, years earlier as a student, and he's giving it uh, the. Well, it's not animated, by the way. Huh? The original is not animated. That it's is correct. Film live action. Uh, that is correct, Almond mm-hmm. Almond Cookie Johnny. Mm-hmm. So now he is redoing the film feature length and animating it, and I have to say it's kind of a return to form for him. I liked it. I think that it that it sort of becomes less interesting as it goes along, just because it sort of has like a typical action kind of ending. 
But after shanking Dark Shadows and after shanking uh, 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 Willy Wonka and after shanking uh, Planet of the Apes, it's nice to see Tim Burton. F- you feel like he's a bit more energized. The voice acting is good. The script is clever. Uh, I think Frank Weenie is actually not that bad. I, I, I kind of liked it. I agree. I agree completely. Now, hang on a second, Wade. Yeah. Are these growing on you or not? Yeah, a little bit. See? Yeah. I'm going to give you the last one. All right, fine. And you can eat the last one. You'd be like, oh, my God. I, I, will, I, will, I will love these. Make more. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I tend to like my cookies, you know, cushier, softer, not quite so crunchy and kind of foamy. But whatever. It's like crunchy meringue. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Thank you. Uh, before I take a bite into this cookie, um, we have a DVD this week, not on Blu-ray. The other, the other new movies are all on uh, Blu-ray. This is Michael Winterbottom's Trishna, which has just totally been shut out of the whole award season uh, thing. And uh, rather unfairly so, I think mainly because um, IFC Films just does not even remotely do a decent job of promoting their stuff for awards. It's like they don't care. You ever notice that? IFC just doesn't get – they don't give a damn during awards season. Uh, somehow they don't think that awards recognition translates into home video it's sales? It's sad. I don't know. It's sad. But anyway, this is from IFC Films. And Michael Winterbottom has – you know, he's just such a talented director. It blows my mind how good he is and how no one's paying attention to his movies anymore. Um, he basically took a Slumdog Millionaire actress Frida Pinto and made an Indian version of Tess of the Durbanvilles, you know, the, which we all know mainly from the Polanski film. And uh, it's always interesting when people do this with Shakespeare and other things. You know, usually they do it with Jane Austen, right? How many different contexts have we plugged Pride and Prejudice into? Um, and even an Indian version with Bride and Prejudice, right? But um, Tess is an interesting story that almost plugs into the Indian culture better than it does into, you know, period British culture. Uh, really just fascinating uh, way of looking at this story in a different cultural context. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Not everybody's a big fan of Thomas Hardy novels, like our friend Andy Klein hates everything that Andy Hart- that Thomas Hardy ever wrote. So he- Andy wouldn't necessarily like it, but I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And the way that it looks at the caste system of India and classes, it's gorgeously photographed. I wish it were on Blu-ray. IFC, get on that. Trishna is a really overrated fil- uh, underrated film that should have been uh, given its due at the end of uh, 2012. Wasn't. So let's, let's hope we can get some justice there. <laughs> By all means, fire away. Yeah, we're both eating. Yeah. Please hold. Uh-huh. You took a long time to have a bite. By the end of that third cookie, you'll be obsessed. You'll be like, God, make some more. Looper is on. Uh, actually, Looper's been out on Blu-ray. We're finally getting it, getting it now. Um, and it's great. You know, sometimes you see a um, you see a science fiction film. You know, I felt the same way about um, what was the uh, the Duncan Jones thing, the second Duncan Jones thing. Oh uh, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, he right. goes back in time, whatever time. Blimmin's seventeen seconds or whatever. Exactly. Called, yeah. You know, you, you you see a film like that, and Looper's the same. Where they take something that, by all rights, should be a total programmer, button pusher, same old, same old, and makes it great. And this is a uh, uh, just a total testament to uh, the director, Rianne Johnson. And uh, he's great. Joseph Gordon-Levitton and Bruce Willis is in it. The time- Source code. Source code. Um, Worst title ever, by the way, Source code. Like, who the hell's going to remember that? <laughs> um, and anyway, so uh, Joey Gordon-Levitt, he's, uh, I, I, I kind of don't want to, you probably already saw it, but I'm not going to tell you. Anyway, Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, time travel, 2044, 2000, you know, 2011. It's great. You got to see it. Rent it. Buy it. Well, definitely rent it. There's some uh, bunch of special features, including a, a commentary with the director and Emily Blunt and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. There's some deleted scenes. There's some Blu-ray exclusives too. 
which the Blu-ray has 17 delete, extra deleted scenes, which is like way too much. But still, it's a really cool movie. It's got a lot of style, and it just takes a it, takes, it just, just takes a stale premise that would have been stale by any other measure by any other director. Makes it totally fresh. I agree. Uh, to run with love, Woody Allen's uh, latest European opus. And he's back in New, York, in New York now, by the way. His new film is uh, is a New York film again. Good, because this movie sucks. You didn't like To Run With Love? No. Why? Come on, he made it's, it's Woody Allen directing Benini. How that's like priceless. You love Benini. Benini is annoying. But Benini can be annoying, but he but he's he's good here. And I thought Alec Baldwin was good here, and Penelope Cruz is good here. Give me a break; they're all good. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, I don't particularly care for. I you know I don't think this is like one of Woody's best films, but I thought it was perfectly amiable. I enjoyed it. It's fine. I mean, is it a little bit of a letdown after Midnight in Paris? Yes, of course it is. Uh, you know, this is kind of like one of his also ran movies, and he he of course is uh, is in it again, which sometimes is a mistake more often than not these days. I kind of want him to not be in his movies so much, but uh, I thought this was perfectly amiable. You didn't? Maybe it's maybe it's a function of uh, coming off of uh, Midnight in Paris. It just seemed a little slack. Yeah, a little it bit. It didn't have the snap of the writing. You know, sometimes Woody's writing can be very... You can almost feel the cadences, the formulaicness yeah. of his writing sometimes. True. And and you definitely feel that here. Yeah, I feel like this is a middling Woody Allen movie. Absolutely. But, you know, what? There, there's, the thing is that there, there's too many of those now. When you do a movie a year and you've been active for 40 years, yeah. there's too many middling Woody Allen films that's, out there. That's very true. That is very, very true. Uh, Compliance is a film I suspect Mark and I are going to disagree on. I think you liked this, didn't you? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I liked it as filmmaking, but I, yeah. I liked it as an idea, as a as a filmed thesis. Yes, yeah, I don't. Um, Magnolia's uh, Blu-ray of Compliance is here in my hands, uh, loaded with all kinds of just great pull quotes from people who love this movie. Now, here's my thing. Uh, first of all, this movie doesn't really absolutely gain anything at all from Blu-ray. It doesn't gain much from, from DVD. It's not terribly well shot. I don't think it's terribly well made. Uh, it is well acted, however. Craig uh, Zobel, who wrote and directed it, based this on... Apparently an actual incident where uh, the, the, a prank caller talked these people uh, into basically believing that he was a, a law enforcement officer and talked them into all kinds of horrible um, sexual molestations and assaults uh, under the guise of having someone searched, et cetera, et cetera. We think this, you know, this woman has stolen something. And that's basically what this is about. I want you to, you know, strip her, do a, do a cavity search. And... The longer this movie goes on, the more I was thinking, okay, this would have been a great 10-minute short film. This might even have been a 20-minute short film. But as this drags on, all I can think of is, and I don't care if it's based on a real incident, these are the stupidest people in the world, and every single one of them should just be locked up for being so unbelievably stupid and naive. Well, that's, just, it's, it's intolerable. But that's, and it's not interesting at that point. You just want to hit them. That's the beauty of the casting of Ann Dowd, which is that you get a feeling that she's kind of dim. And the, the whole movie is about how much are you willing to cede... Your, you know, your sense of, uh, of justice, justice because yeah. you because there might be somebody of authority telling you what to do. I mean, really, it just broadens out into even that. You know, we do what the police says because we just assume that they're the police. We do what our bosses say because they're the boss. What our parents say because they're our parents. But how willing are we to just cede authority to others? And this prank. And by the way, that 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 the only thing I did not like about this movie at all. Is that thing he did at the end? At the end of the film, yeah. there's a there's a title card. I'm being vague. There's a title card. Yes, there the is. The title card has words on it, and you're like, you just brought me back down to earth. I mean, what was the point of that? I was so absorbed in the story, 
and now you've just did that. It's I'm being so vague. it's a problem. It's a problem. The whole I just don't like the movie at all. I just it upset me. Is it is it well made? Well, it's well acted. Other than that, it's shot too close, and I I just felt like it was you know one of those typical Sundancey movies. So whatever. Wage ignorant slut. I know totally. So, uh, Mark, uh, let's let's finish off the regular movies with with that right in, that's, that you hit that last yeah. Let's finish that off, and then I'll I'll uh, get us started on the classic stuff. Oh, Wade won't back down from earlier. Uh, I guess last year I was about to say earlier this year, but it's 2013. It's not fair. Um, this is a uh, one of those. Uh, it's not an activist movie, but you know, it's one of those movies where like you know parents try to uh, you know improve the education of their kids and. And they're just really crusading parents, and uh, we all love crusading parents. Oh. So it's Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal, uh, Viola Davis, and Holly Hunter. And, uh, you know, I would probably recommend this for uh, women only. <laughs> if you're a guy. One of those movies. Or if you're childless. Okay. I don't really see any point in this. Although, uh, look, it, it, not that it doesn't bring up interesting questions about the public education system or what some would consider a public education crisis. Kind, kind of a polemic, though. It is very much of a polemic. And uh, the, the thing is that when you go... It's, you know, it's very tough when you, back, when you back into the themes of your movie. Like if you say, I'm going to make a movie about the public education crisis. Now you're backing into what really matters, which is story and character. If you write a movie with great stories and character, then those themes will just sort of come out naturally. So, we sort of, so they, they, they sort of go, they come out and try to make a polemic. And then in the end, they make a film that just becomes just dry and boring. Lame. All right, uh, Kino sent us two fantastic Blu-ray box sets that I wish had come in earlier because they would definitely have been right at the top of the uh, holiday gift coverage. But unfortunately, they did not. So we are going to make them high, high recommendations for January. One is the David O. Selznick collection, and uh, this is all fr- just perfectly brilliant David O. Selznick stuff. There's no ringer, there's no stringer in this. You know, we always talk about box sets. Which one doesn't belong? Nothing. They all belong. Uh, and these are all from the uh, actual uh, George Eastman House collection that came originally from Selznick's own estate. So this is not public domain stuff, which Kino never releases. Uh, you get Bird of pa- And all of this has been released previously, by the way. It's just a box set of great Blu-rays. But if you don't want to have to go and pick them up separately, get them all together here. Uh, so we included here is Nothing Sacred with uh, Carol Lombard and Frederick March. The original Janet Gaynor, Frederick March star is born. A Farewell to Arms with Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes. Uh, Mickey Rooney in Little Lord Fauntleroy. There's the biggest star in the world. <laughs> Love it when Dana Carvey would do that. And then Dolores Del Rio and Joel McRae in Bird of Paradise, which but, is just so beautifully shot. Bird of Paradise, one of the great all-time cinematography achievements. Here's the two the movies that, that, that obviously... Now, here's the thing. Selznick yes. is one of the only... Producers you know by name. Auteur producer, yeah. yes. The, the, there are very few auteur producers. Selznick being one of them. Uh, you could certainly make a case that David Putnam was for a period as well, but yes. Uh, the two films that are not in this collection, not that they ever Rebecca would be, and Gone with the Wind. Would be Rebecca and Gone with the Wind, yeah. Now, Rebecca is uh, won Best Picture, I think, in 1940, something like that. Yes. And uh, that was the, the, year, the year after Gone with the Wind. The year after Gone with the Wind. Yeah, the year after Gone with the Wind. So anyway, so Selznick is a uh, is great, and those films again. He obviously he, he did a lot of films, Selznick, and uh, those aren't all of them. No, nope. they're not even his best, but they're all very good. You know, uh, Buster Keaton is what the movies are all about. I love my Chaplin, but Buster Keaton, in terms of being not just a screen presence but also a filmmaker, Chaplin, brilliant. I take nothing away from Chaplin, but Buster Keaton. You look at his movies; there is a technical sophistication that is still very modern. 
And this is the complete Buster Keaton collection. 14 discs on oh, Blu-ray from Kino. That's good. I'm telling you. Crap. Huh? This is Blu-ray. It's Blu-ray. I want this. And we weren't. We, we almost weren't going to get this, by the way. There were limited copies, and I had to wait and see if, you know... If uh, we could slum it a little bit at the bottom of the list, and uh, they had they had extra, so this I get is my great. I know I get my Buster Keaton oh, Blu-ray. You're not going to give me this. Okay. No, I'm not. Okay. I had to really, really work very hard with the people at Kino to make sure that uh, we earned their grace. Well, I'm going to say bad things about it because they wouldn't give me one. You know what? Look, Buster. I mean, we can't even go into the history of Buster Keaton. Just know that if if you get one That's Buster Keaton film, it you got to get them all because you're just going to want to sit there for days and days and days and watch Buster Keaton over and over and over. And it, the transfers for Blu-ray are so gorgeous they're so pristine they're better in fact than any of the blu-ray transfers i've seen for uh chaplin films including those on criterion i would admit buster keaton hey look at it get back yeah it's awesome look, 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 i know short films it has the the uh, the sap head three ages our hospitality sherlock jr the navigator seven chances go west battling butler the general folks one of the all-time great films yep college which is uh pretty funny i mean for an older film it's funny stuff steamboat bill jr and lost keaton which is uh, some, you know, uh, recently unearthed, not recently, but recently, sort of recently unearthed Keaton stuff. It's great. It's yep, just fantastic. It's Absolutely awesome. Buster Keaton Collection. Buster Keaton Collection on Blu-ray from Kino's. Kino, 14 discs. One. 14 freaking discs. I want one. Send me one, Kino. Please, Mr. Kino. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> now, wait. Uh, we, no, no. You know what you say? Oh, no, be- no, best no, nothing time. ever happens. Best picture time. Well, here's the thing. You know, we talk now. You know, now that there's upwards of 10 Best Picture nominees, right? Yes, yes. It is very possible, more possible than ever, that a film will win Best Picture without its director being nominated. Yeah, and, 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 and this year it may very well happen again. It only happened once before in, in uh, 89 with uh, that movie. Driving Miss Daisy. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Now, when uh, Driving Miss Daisy was nominated for Best Picture, Bruce Beresford was not nominated for Best Director. Which the, is why everyone thought that... The film's that, chances were written off. They were written off. Everyone honestly thought that uh, Born on the Fourth of July was going to win everything. And, and as soon as Oliver Stone won Best Director for Born on the Fourth of July, they're like, all right, it's Born on the Fourth of July. And then Best Picture came around. And I kid you not, Christy was saying to me at the time, she's like, don't believe it. It's going to be Bo- Driving Miss Daisy. I said, it's not possible. Bruce Beresford wasn't nominated. You can't win Best Picture if your director isn't nominated. And the winner is Driving Miss Daisy. And I had egg on my face. It just no one saw that coming except for, I would say... My wife, who was then not my wife, but that's why I married her, because she predicted this. Because she knew that the she aging knew. members of the Academy, she who are even knew. older then than they are now, by average age, mm-hmm. would like that over some movie that, hey, the Vietnam War! Yeah. Uh, anyway, Darth Miss Daisy is a terrific film, and uh, if you've just heard of it through your parents, or heard of it through just reading articles about it or whatever, because it's part of Oscar history, uh, don't discount it. You should definitely uh, rent it, if not buy it. Uh, it's great. It's a great film. Morgan Freeman is great in it. Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd in it. One of Dan Aykroyd's first dramatic roles. Yeah, one of true. one of his first dramatic roles. Yeah. Uh, it's also won a bunch of Golden Globes, and uh, it's great. It's a great film. By the way, let me just point out to you: Driving Miss Davy, Daisy is as old to us now as Gone with the or as uh, Gone with the Wind as uh, Sound of Music was when Driving Miss Daisy came out. Sometimes you say things like that. And I can't do that math. I don't know what that means. <laughs> By the way, here's the thing. Driving Miss Daisy, which is about a, a, a black uh, chauffeur and the elderly white woman that he, uh, he yes. chauffeurs around in the yes. South, um, it also features one of the first decent, non-thumpity-thump militaristic scores by Hans Zimmer. That's true. It's a great Hans Zimmer that's score. That's very true. And he really writes scores like that. And uh, it's good stuff. 
another two Best Picture winners here, also from Warner Brothers. And uh, you got to get these on Blu-ray. you got to get them because they're brilliant. Mrs. Miniver, William Wyler's amazing, amazing um, World War II tale. And this stars uh, Walter Pidgeon and Greer Garson, and they are wonderful. The movie is absolutely fantastic. It won six Academy Awards. It was uh, made and released during the war, 1942. And it's all about uh, the, the Battle of Britain, but it's not about the, the, the dogfights between the fighter planes over Britain. It's about people. And uh, it's just it's the the British people and their just stern resolve and uh, they're just it's wonderful. It's such a beautiful movie. It'll, it will bring you to tears. And when you look at this movie, when you look at Mrs. Miniver, and then you flash forward a few years to '46 when William Wyler made uh, the best years of our lives. I'm one of those people that thinks these two movies should be taken together, that they're really companion films, and that they represent William Wyler's, you know, dual look at uh, the two sides of the, the ocean and the two fronts of the war, before the war and during, or after the war and during the war, and the resolve of people, Americans and Britons. I, I, I think it's just absolutely a wonderful movie. Uh, the other one is the original um, portmanteau film, the original interlocking story film, long before movies like Magnolia and uh, all of its ilk was Grand Hotel. Grand Hotel, by the way, um, it was the first film to win Best Picture and not be nominated for anything else. That was it. I mean, this is in the very, very early days of the Academy, and uh, it was sort of when they didn't have quite the nomination and the, uh, and the voting process sorted out to the same degree that uh, we do now. Um, it was barely the beginnings of the sound era, 1931-32. But isn't that weird? It was the only nomination this film got was Best Picture, and it won. You know what's even weirder? Huh. The word portmanteau. It means uh, overcoat. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a word that somehow doesn't mean what you think it means. I know. Well, it's all these interlocking I stories. I bet you can't name another portmanteau word. Uh, a portmanteau is, is, is a word that is made, well, I mean, it's, it's the original is a word that is made from two other, by combining two words. Yeah. I actually have a, uh, actually, you know what? I have a uh, list of them. Oh, dear. Because every time I hear the word portmanteau, I get annoyed. Because it sounds like, oh, it's probably some artistic, like, Renaissance era. Portmanteau. Yeah, okay. No, no. Black exploitation is a portmanteau. Okay. Is a combination of black I and exploitation. Guess. Okay. Bromance, that's a more recent portmanteau. Very good. Brother and romance. I'm just saying. Portmanteau. Well, anyway, this is, this is all these different <laughs> like, stories. Why Mark talk about All that? these different stories interlocking in a single hotel. It's very nicely done. Very well put together. Um, a beautiful directing job by Edmund Goulding, who really didn't go on to do much else of uh, sig- extreme significance. And one of the actresses in this, I should point out, is the lovely Jean Herschelt, whose name is borne by the Humanitarian Award that the Academy gives out now. So uh, this is really quite terrific. It includes a very, very good commentary by uh, Jeffrey Vance and Mark Vieira, a making-of documentary, newsreel, uh, Vitaphone musical short and trailers, um, for this film and its remake, it's really a it's a it's a wonderful piece of movie history. You got to check it out. Absolutely. Uh, are we talking about this one? Um, you know what? Before you get to that, let me talk about this because this came out <gasps> a number of weeks ago. Aww. Didn't get it until now, so I want to catch up on this because I love this movie. I I congratulate Steven Spielberg for all of his nominations for Lincoln. I do. I really do. I don't love the film that much, but the movie that I of Spielberg's that I still think is one of his best, which totally got shafted at the Oscars, is Empire of the Sun. I, agree. I love great. Empire of the Sun. Yep, I great. love this movie. I think uh, Spielberg's direction is exquisite. I think the young Christian Bale, the man who would be Batman, is in his first big movie role as a little kid. Is He's awesome. He's just an amazing young actor. Um, and I, I got to tell you, what really makes this movie hum for me 
is Tom Stoppard's screenplay. Tom Stoppard wrote one hell of a script for this based on the uh, on the novel. And there's a really interesting history of Empire of the Sun because at one point David Lean wanted to make this movie. And, you know, there are a lot of movies that Lean wanted to make that Spielberg wound up making. And uh, this is one of them. And it's, it's just it, it, whether or not Lean would have ever even wanted to go and make this movie the way that Spielberg made it, who knows. But it's a lovely movie. And um, I think it's right, it's right up there with Bridge in the River Kwai for me. For that kind of a film, really? That's, yeah, it's that's, right that's, up there. That's a uh, now that's not uh, Lawrence of Arabia high praise. No, but it's that's not, high it's, praise. It's high praise. It is major. A, this is a gorgeous Blu-ray book from uh, from Warner Brothers, and it includes two discs. Uh, on the first one is a uh, the, obviously an amazing transfer of the movie. It is just such a gorgeous transfer. I can't believe it. And uh, along with the documentary, the China Odyssey which aired on television, by the way, around the time the film was released. I've seen it many times. never gets old. The only thing about it that's upsetting is when uh, they have one, one shot at getting a shot of Christian Bale in this explosion in the background, and Bale blows the, blows the performance, and they have to kind of do a retake. And, it does, and you can see it in the film afterwards. You're like, oh, they had to shoot that separately. They couldn't get the shot because he blew it. And Spielberg is just trying not to get pissed off at Bale. He's just trying to go, oh, we lost it with the hands and the gestures. And Bale is just so disappointed with himself because he knows he blew their one and only chance to get the explosion shot. And, and somehow, 30 years later, he yeah. would yell at some, <laughs> some lighting <laughs> technician on Terminator 3 Very or something. Very true. And then the second disc is devoted to Warner at War, which is an amazing documentary about the uh, narrated by Spielberg about Warner Brothers' uh, efforts during wartime. So anyway, got to get it. Blu-ray book of Empire of the Sun. Rock on. Yeah, Wade. What would you like to talk about now? Yeah, you, you tell us about Barren Blood, for crying out loud. I love Barren Blood. Yeah. Barren Blood is a... Uh, from 1972, Barren Blood is one of those, like... Uh, it's kind of like an Italian uh, giallo kind of thing by Mario Bava. And the movie, for some strange reason, stars Joseph Cotton. Now, Joseph Cotton, by the way, Citizen Kane Joseph Cotton. This is not the Citizen Kane Joseph Cotton. This is the 1972 Joseph Cotton. And uh, the movie is just ridiculous. It's about a. Uh, it's about this this guy who goes. To, he returns to Austria to find his family, or you know, whatever it is. And he he visits this castle, and the castle's run by this by this baron who was cursed to die by a witch. And then when the, this young guy reads aloud the incantation, Baron Blood returns to c- continue killing people. It's Baron Blood. Mario Bava just drives me nuts. I don't like any of this giallo no. stuff. I don't, I don't like Mario Bava. I don't like, I really don't like uh, the other one, uh, you know, the, 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 the big dog. Oh, oh. Don uh, Argento. Yeah. Although, you know what? Kino always does a great job with their stuff, so you really can't blame Kino. First of all, this film is, n- is not historically unimportant. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a noted film of that genre. Um, so it's totally worth coming out on Blu-ray, and there's great special features on it. There's an alternative title sequence, which is kind of cool. There's a trailer, which is always kind of fun. Those vintage trailers from like the '70s are always fun to watch, and uh, so it's good stuff. But it is barren blood, and it is kind of ridiculous, and it does feature Elkie Summer. Now, Elkie oh, Summer, if Elky you're of a certain Summer. age, Elkie <laughs> Summer back of the, in the day, she was a serious sex pot. By the yeah. way, even the word sex pot <laughs> probably ages me. Speaking of uh, Jalloway kind of stuff, uh, we also have, which I feel obligated to mention just because of the way that they, they actually packaged it. I have to applaud them for this. Uh, from 1970, Mark of the Devil. And the way this is packaged, they shrink wrap the DVD with a, a barf bag, a, or, or what do they call them in the airline industry? An air sickness bag? Air sickness bag. An air sickness bag. And printed on it, it I mean, this is, actually, this is shrink-wrapped right on top of the DVD. And it says, this vomit bag will ready you to endure 
Mark of the Devil. You know what? This is this is just uh, great marketing. I got to tell you, this is great well, marketing. Well, because no one's ever heard of Mark of the Devil. No. And if you see Mark of the Devil on your, on the store shelves, you're going to pass over it. But if you see a vomit bag, you'll take a look. Exactly. Well, this is one of these kind of uh, medieval. Uh, it's sort of an American giallo film uh, based on you know uh, witch trials, and uh, it's just an excuse for a lot of torture porn. Basically, from 1970, directed by a guy named Michael Armstrong, who I'd never heard of. Hope I never hear of him again. Uh, the only thing that's really significant about this is uh, who's in it, which is basically Herbert Lom and Udo Kier. And, uh, you know, Herbert Lom is just a, a great, cheesy old actor. And Udo Kier, we love Udo. I, I, I mean, come on. We, we made a movie with Udo. I think Udo Kier, I think here's the thing. Udo Kier, Seymour Cassell, like who are the old time just nut job actors? Udo Kier, Seymour Cassell... Uh, Klaus Kinski Yeah Like they should all get together And do some film Where they all just like Literally like kill themselves At the end Like literally As people kill themselves At the end uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much, the original incarnation of this film from 1934 by Hitchcock, is also out in a Blu-ray from Criterion. And uh, I, I don't think this is even remotely as cool as the more recent one with Jimmy Stewart. But it's interesting to see them both back-to-back, which I did actually in school. I remember in my, in my Hitchcock class at uh, UCLA, they showed us both films back-to-back. And it's really interesting to compare them, to compare the evolution of Hitchcock's style, how they changed the story. Um, again, not is not nearly as good as the remake, but really worth watching. Very nicely done, and uh, you know it's it got some great extras too. Uh, this thing on here, the the illustrated Hitchcock, which is a uh, 1972 interview with Hitchcock, uh, audio excerpts from uh, Truffaut's interviews in uh, 1962 with Hitchcock, and uh, there's a great interview with Guillermo del Toro of all people. Uh, so, I mean, the extras here make it worthwhile. If you're a Hitchcock completist, you'll definitely want to get it. If you aren't really into Hitchcock, I, this is probably not high on your list. By the way, speaking of Criterion, there's a big, big Criterion release next month. Big yes, there time. is. What is it, Wade? Marlon Brando, go. Uh, on the Waterfront. Yes, On the Waterfront, coming out on Criterion Fantastic. Blu-ray next month. That's big time, folks. Yep. Save up your shackles. And uh, we have got... Some facets films here that I want to make mention of. Um, the uh, This is from 1991. This is a film that probably went under a lot of people's radar, but facets always digs up some really interesting stuff. Black and White, which uh, is, a, is, is actually a Russian film directed by Boris Fruman. And this is one of those movies that just never, ever would have made it to theaters uh, in the 90s, in the 80s, in the, in the 70s, maybe. But by 1991, it, it, was, just, it was increasingly uh, impossible for this to happen. And ironically, this takes place basically in uh, – this is all in English. It's a Russian-made film, but it takes place in New York. And um, it's, uh, it's about a, an interracial uh, relationship. A uh, you know a young black American and a uh, young Russian uh, immigrant and uh, it, it's it's really just a very very simple relationship movie a little bit like the marriage of Maria Braun in some respects and uh, I think it's a it's a sharp little movie that should have gotten more recognition in 1991 when it came out and then we also have a couple of movies uh, from 1977 and um, kind of the 1980 time frame uh, from uh, the Austrian feminist filmmaker. Uh, valley export that's spelled v a l i e not to be not like she's being exported from the valley but that's actually a germanic name i guess uh, the 1977 film is invisible adversaries and the 1980 film uh, menschenfrauen which means like uh, men women or you know 
stern women, women who have manly attributes or whatever. Uh, I'm very, I'm not terribly inf- uh, familiar with the films of Valley Export, uh, so I can only go based on these films. But again, there's sort of a, um, as we mentioned with Marriage of Maria Braun in black and white, there's kind of a, a, uh, a Fassbinderian quality to these movies, as if it's sort of like the way that Fassbinder approached things from his male perspective. Uh, certainly a bisexual male perspective. I get the sense that there's certainly a very feminist, possibly even a, a bisexual feminist uh, mindset going on with Valley Export as, here, uh, as well. And uh, you know, this one, Invisible Adversaries, is particularly disturbing, maybe even a little bit of Polanski in here as well. Um, it's uh, about a woman who basically has been uh, given up in her relationship, and it's the instability of her psyche and uh, where that goes. It feels, again, like Fassbender and Polanski got together and, and did a remake of The Tenant crossed with... Um, Star uh, Wars? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, the, the, uh, the Deneuve film, Polanski, Deneuve. Oh, the, uh, uh, the uh, hang on, the Polanski, oh, Deneuve. Oh, crud. Uh, you keep talking, I'll, I'll remember it. This is why my, my we, we've done an hour show, my brain is used up, the batteries are, are drained. You, you, you go and find it. Um, Mention Frau, it's one of my favorite all-time Polanski films. Why can't I think of the title? Because you're old. Uh, it must be. Repulsion. Repulsion, thank you. And then Mention Frauen. Um, is is uh, again a relationship movie, except in this case it, it's much more expansive, and it's not about madness per se. Um, it's about uh, four women and one man, and uh, y- y- you know what the the results of four women being involved with one man in different ways and psychologically how that affects them. Um, really, a great observation, pretty intensely written, and uh, I, I kind of makes me want to dig up more of Valley Exports films and become more familiar with the. Uh, with her body of work. So anyway, those are from Facets. Uh, highly recommended. Always look for the Facets limited edition. It's uh, always very interesting. And Mark, did we want to make a, um, a last little commentary on this TV movie just because of the Zero Dark Thirty controversies? Yeah, we can. It's a TV movie that aired on uh, National Geographic called SEAL Team 6, The Raid on Osama Bin Laden. This uh, was uh, sort of hit the zeitgeist at the same time as, as the much, much better Zero, Zero Dark Thirty. This is not a great film. However, it is notable because uh, Harvey Weinstein bought this thing in Cannes. And, of course, Harvey is a huge Democratic uh, backer and uh, Obama and, supporter. And, and there were some accusations that it would become a, an Obama puff piece because he got involved in re-editing it, presumably. Adding Obama footage to yes, the movie. Yes, exactly. And, by the way, I'm sure that is 100% true. But, you know, at the same time, Catherine Bigelow was a big Obama donor, and everybody uh, attacked her before the movie was made, saying, oh, it's going to be an Obama puff piece, she's an Obama donor, they've had, they've, even... had, they've had special access to the uh, CIA files, which they shouldn't have had, and then the movie comes out, and now everybody's like, oh, it's a, it's a Bush puff piece, it supports torture. You know what that says? It says it's a great movie that really uh, doesn't show its, it doesn't take a position, it basically just tells you a good story. Even worse, it says people are stupid. It even, says people are Even worse, are... it says that, that people go... Nowadays, people go up half-cocked. They do. On the tiniest little wisp of information. Yeah. They go, there's a movie about Obama. It's the Democrats! <laughs> there's a movie about Obama. It's the Republicans! <laughs> you know, why don't you just see the movie and decide for yourself and just stop it? Absolutely. Anyway, uh, but the point being is that the SEAL Team 6, the raid on Osama bin Laden, is a, not a good film. And that's all that matters. Although it does start Cam Giga Day... Who's like this punky it, guy? You know what this nowhere? reminds me of? This reminds me when everybody was racing to get those Entebbe, those Raid on Entebbe movies out. And uh, Raid on Entebbe, the, uh, the, the NBC one that had uh, Yapit Kodo, was really the better one, the one directed by um, uh, Star Wars? Kirshner. 
Right. Speaking of Star Wars, uh, the one directed by Urban Kirshner was very, very good. But it was the second one out. ABC raced to, to, to screen with this one that had Martin Sheen in it. Well, it was like Operation Entebbe or something it, Whatever like it was. It was, uh, it was, it was you know, uh, Victory at Entebbe or was something that like that. It was, it, was a, it was a shot on video. They didn't even wait to be able to shoot it on film. It had Martin Sheen. It was really, really poorly done. But ABC had to get that one out ahead of the, the NBC one. Well, you know, the later one was better. And in this case, uh, SEAL Team 6, yeah, they raced it out, but not very good. It's because uh, it, it just doesn't tell a very interesting story. But I, I will say, uh, you know, for my money, still best film of the year last year, Zero Dark Thirty. Sorry, Wade, it's not going to win. I know, it probably won't, but it would be cool if it did. All right, with that, we're done. See you guys next week.